This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 440 for Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Brockett Vola is back. You can find him at the Cat Volver on all the social media that matters. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks. I uh, surely am here only uh, to... Uh create more issues for Joel Duggan in his life <laughs> uh, as I usually am so persnickety or so repetitive and a little bit of both as you know teaser we'll get into it with my persnicketiness is coming back to haunt you Joel via uh, emails it's going to be a little bit different this week on on two fronts um, one the thing that I have seen you have not seen and so we can't really talk about it to save you spoilers and whatnot and the only other thing that I've been watching I just started so I, I can't really judge it like a season of something for one episode <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I'll leave some yeah. first impressions uh, later on in the show uh, and um, the other thing is that we actually have two emails um, one of which have been sitting in the inbox for a little while and it was about books and I, myself and the other guests that I have on regularly, like Stephen and Alistair are not the biggest readers. So uh, I have some recommendations for the, the listener, but uh, I thought it better to have either you or Lou on for this email because uh, you're, you read more than, than the rest of the, the folks. Um, and last but not least, I'll put this a little asterisk at the top of the show. Uh, we're a little bit late recording because um, Brock and I have been dealing with some technical difficulties on the back end of things. And so if the audio quality on this particular episode is not quite up to your normal standards for Citadel Cafe, I apologize. Nothing we can really do about it. It seems to be an internet thing. Uh, we've tried plugging, unplugging, turning off, turning back on again, uh, recalling, reconnecting, changing different regions. Um, it's just something we have to deal with. I actually had this problem a little bit earlier uh, in the week when uh, myself and Johnny on the Minecraft podcast to do the Spawn Chunks were having a little bit of trouble with um, stepping on one another, transitioning from one person talking to the next because the, there was a little bit of a Discord delay. And by and large, I want to say, as a podcaster of 10 years, Discord has been the best. <laughs> like I don't miss yeah. Skype. I I don't no. miss other ways of calling people. Uh the I would rather rather have a call drop than have like that old we used to call it Cyloning where someone would get like super digital and their their audio would be behind and then <laughs> then they'd come back in and they'd sound really sped up as like Skype would deliver all the packets that were lost all at once to try to catch that person up to the call. It was the worst. <laughs> I'd rather have them just drop so we know to call them back than have it be like this long-winded kind of problem. Um, but for now, uh, hopefully things will will even out. Uh, sometimes these things do kind of like smooth over as the call lasts a little bit longer. I find that you either get switched to a different server or the tech you're using just tends to like work through whatever issue it's having, but there's nothing worse. Um, so I feel your frustration and I appreciate the efforts trying to, um, to fix it. I've had issues similar 
uh just before going live on a on a stream where like my scene isn't working in terms of my my video thing or i'm getting background noise on my microphone where i don't normally and i've changed nothing you know it's just that streamlabs has updated like just moments before i go live and it changes something or it needs to be turned off and turned back on again quite literally um i find a lot of times too i'll have to like reopen a web page because the web capture isn't working there's all kinds of stuff that just gets in the way um and um I think the most frustrating thing, and this is not just with podcasting, but in technology in general, because I've had this issue with my Amazon Echo uh, and I've had that feedback from other people and that like, it's the most affordable way to get into home automation, but it's also not the most reliable. Uh, And I've found that I've been using the Amazon Echo to turn on my Xbox, which I now have linked to also the, the TV immersion lights that I have from Govee. So I can say one command and it turns on the Xbox, the TV and the lights and I can say one command and it turns everything back off again. It's great. The other lights in my living room are on a timer. So I don't tend to turn them on with my voice. They kind of come on around eight o'clock and they go off around <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. And the issue that I've had was like all of a sudden my Xbox just wouldn't respond. And so the, the Amazon skill, which is what you have to add to the Echo to control the Xbox was just gone. It just wasn't there. It's like, yeah. well, no wonder you can't find the Xbox. It's been removed. And I don't know why no one asked me to remove it. It just wasn't there anymore. And so I re-downloaded it and repaired it. And it now seems to be working fine. But why it wasn't there in the first place, I don't know. It was working two weeks ago. And um, I've also noticed that there's an, an Alexa app now for Xbox. And I don't know whether Xbox is to blame and they changed the way that they do things. So then they just like discontinued the functionality of the previous skill because there seems to be more options now. And, um, or if it's, if it's Amazon for just like having a crappy kind of like interface, uh, cause I don't, once it's set up, it's fine. I don't find yeah. the setup process very good for the, the echo. We have a similar problem with, um, so we have a Vizio smart TV. And it would recognize it as living room TV. And then suddenly, I think it literally said the other day, like, can't find TV, might need to mm-hmm. reassign or re-give us that skill. And I I think it's the same thing where, like, you had this, like, two days ago and suddenly either an update on the TV somehow or the or the Echo has kicked that, that out your core. And now suddenly I have to redo it, which usually isn't that long a process. Sounds like probably for yours because so many things are interconnected it might be more cantankerous but but just in general still it's sort of like oh okay and suddenly you're like the technology that made things incredibly simple and easy is now like uh the remote's too far away you know like you feel so (laughs) silly but at the same time you're like but this is what it's supposed to do so like yeah like i can't I, i can feel a little silly or lazy or whatever but at the same time like i've done this so it feels silly to have to keep doing it over and over again and I think the frustration um, comes in when it makes you feel stupid, right? It's just like, yeah. I did it. I set it up. I've not messed with it. I haven't touched it since I set it up. The idea with all of this automation is in the name. You're supposed to set it up and then you not have to set it up again. Um, <laughs> and and that's the thing. Like when, when something goes wrong with like mic setup or my streaming setup, if I've been messing with my streaming setup and then someone chimes in and says, oh, Joel, your, your follow uh, animation is happening twice on screen. I go, 
oh, right, because I was messing with stuff, immediately know it's human error and then go fix it. But but if I'm not touching anything, like if I haven't changed my streaming setup or, or the Amazon Echo, you know, skills in a month, then I don't expect them to just not work that day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, oh yeah, it's such, such a pain in the butt. Yeah. Well, Joel, you're a pro because you put it on yourself that uh, you are very sorry that I have to deal with all this when we all know it's really you <laughs> and the listeners have to deal with this. But that's true. Joel, Canadian, yep. uh, Captain America right there. He's like, I'll take it. I'll take this one. You know, I'm so sorry, guys. But uh, take the hit. But yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yep. Hopefully I'm not sounding like a Cylon. That would be so Joel probably is like, God, don't like those jokes, buddy, because those are really like, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> The other day I was um, hanging out with Alistair on the Minecraft server and he has a new microphone and he's been, he had a friend that, that is an audio engineer come over and help him like tweak it. So it sounds good. And, uh, and we have this um, proximity thing in Minecraft where like, as you get closer to the other player, they sound closer, which is really cool. Anyway, um, we were going to test it because I wanted to make sure that my app was working right. So that if we do stream sometime together, it's not going to be a problem to just like walk up and do audio and it's not going to be a whole thing. We can just be seamless. Right. So in the process of setting it all up, when I went over to say hi to him, he has a voice changer now on his microphone and he has a point redemption thing in his stream where like, if you use so many channel points, he'll change his voice for X amount of minutes on the stream. And he's a big doctor who fan. So he changes it to sound like a, a, a Dalek. And, oh, uh, oh no. <laughs> so, and then he does an impression of one. So like, he just has to do the right voice pattern, but then the mic does the rest and like, oh. it is eerily accurate. It's really quite funny, except for he says things that a Dalek wouldn't say. It's like, what are you doing <laughs> sure. in Minecraft? Like, it is good to see, like, it is, it's really, it was really quite funny. I, he had me chuckling and I, it, which is good because like when you go into troubleshoot audio apps and stuff like that in a game. Uh, stuff that's coded by like other players you're just like you have no idea how much of a frustration it's going to be but um, but the simple voice app is actually pretty good we, we use it we use it quite a bit now which is which is nice but speaking of things that we want to dive into and get under the hood of I am just thrilled that we've been receiving so much email uh, over the last little while um, certainly a, a new thing for the Citadel Cafe because for most of the 10 years there really wasn't that many emails that that came in um, but the first one comes in from the Grand Titan favorite video game bucket list. You can see why I wanted Brockett on the show for this one. Hey, Joel and Brockett. I have been a listener since July of 2021, and I have found the Citadel Cafe a place where people talk about things I'm actually interested in. I have also started to listen to the Spawn Chunks and found it quite entertaining. I have a Brockett type question for the show. What is your favorite game from your childhood? your favorite game from your teenage years and your favorite game now as an adult. You can't pick games with sequels or prequels or ones with a sequel on the way, but you can pick games like Legends of Zelda that are multiple games in a series, but aren't actually directly related. Thank you for the excellent content. And I can't wait for the coming episodes. Keep up the good work. The Grand Titan PS. I was wondering if you do Minecraft videos on YouTube. Uh, I can answer that last little PS quickly. Uh, yes. I have two YouTube channels, uh, pretty easy. The first one is just my name, Joel Duggan on YouTube. The second one is Joel Duggan VODs, V-O-D-S. 
and as the name suggests, uh, the VODs is where I put the three to four hour streams from Twitch. They then get archived on the VODs channel. That includes more than just Minecraft. There's some satisfactory stuff there. I think there might be a Borderlands one. Definitely the Lego stream is there from when I made the Y-Wing a couple months ago. Uh, and I'm looking forward to a new Lego stream coming up soon. So you'll see that on the YouTube VODs channel. So Joel Duggan VODs on YouTube. The Joel Duggan channel has a lot of what you would consider traditional Minecraft Let's Play content, 20 to 30 minute videos, edited clips. Uh, it starts off early on with me recording things on my own and then um, putting those clips together. Later, it becomes me clipping pieces of my streams together and then putting those into small videos. Ultimately, a couple of years ago, it came down to the fact that I just don't have time to play Minecraft unless I'm streaming. And so, it became really difficult to find the time to edit what is a three hour stream of consciousness down into an episode. And I just, mm. it, you end up with a three hour clip that you have to make, make episodes out of, and it becomes really difficult. Um, it's a lot easier if you've got a planned episode where you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to record like a five minute clip here and a 10 minute clip there and, or whatever. And then you end up, you know, with a, 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 a more, a, t a tightly edited let's play. Uh, I'd love to return to it, um, but two things, the time, and I just didn't really get a foothold on YouTube like I did on Twitch. And so financially, I don't, I don't, I don't even have enough followers on YouTube to run ads. So it's, it's better for me to spend the time on Twitch. So it's twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, uh, or like I said, Joel Duggan VODs. Uh, the cool thing about the VODs channel is that I started them right when I started the medieval town area on Minecraft. So West Hill was started in November of 2020. I'm still working on it now. So there are lots of VODs from that project. And so you can see that project take shape from like nothing but grass to the fully developed town that it is now. And um, it's just been a lot of weekends over the last couple of years. Uh, or a year and a half, I guess. So yeah, so that's where you can find the the YouTube stuff. But uh, we'll start with, I guess, you, Brockett, in terms of the responses for favorite games. I'm assuming that the Grand Titan meant video games. They didn't specify, except for the the idea that Legend of Zelda is a video game. But um, I right. went video game. I'm not sure about you. Yeah, I did too. Well, I sort of blended it a bit because obviously there's very few board game tabletop things that are sequels. My list is 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 very difficult to come together because he I read it as you cannot use any game with a direct sequel, prequel, or uh, like one in the works. Uh, but the Legend of Zelda as like like it's a franchise like Final Fantasy, but each Legend of Zelda doesn't quote unquote directly follow the other ones. Yes, it pushing glasses up the nose. You could say Majora's Mask is a direct sequel and. You know, they're all part of a canon, but whatever. But as I read it, um, it was Kant, which does feel very Brockett persnickety. Um, and so I I did notice that that would create quite an issue for me. Um, so I have a lot of honorable mentions. And usually, and through no fault of anything, it, it bumped out what I would say is my favorite game in each era because of that. But not necessarily because it was a sequel per se. But just because I am a big um, fan of continuity and some of those things uh, flowing from game to game and some of the big franchises. But uh, yes, to start, as you were saying, 
Um, you have childhood, teenage years, and adult years. And childhood, so I was marking this as 12 or under as you hit teen at 13. Um, I really didn't, I had a Super Nintendo, but I really didn't play it. I don't know if this came up on the show once, but when I had a babysitter over, I just watch her play my Super Nintendo. That's how I watched Super Mario World get beat um, and her play Mickey Mania, which is a Mickey Mouse platformer. Um, and it wasn't until years and years later with emulators by this point when I was closer to college age, late high school, that I realized there were Super Nintendo games that I should have been playing that I would have liked, like an Earthbound or um, any number of RPGs. Um, but I just, I didn't realize what I wanted in games at that point. So I only thought video games were pretty much platformers, um, or hack and slash. So I didn't play enough in childhood to count anything other than I would say the Game Boy era is what I would call my childhood. And because of the question, I can't use Pokemon per se, because there are direct sequels to those and the way they flow. So here's, here's the thing about about this and i and i want to try to respect the email from the grand titan i don't understand the restrictions because of the way that it was phrased so mm-hmm. most of mine have got sequels or were part of a franchise and if it means i can't pick them well then i don't have any answers so i say right. ignore the whole can't pick can pick just pick the the games that were your favorites from those years if from it, those if eras. It, yeah if it because if it means a stilted conversation well that's just not going to make a good a good response oh, so sure. um I, I mean i'm okay with with i mean if if pokemon was your favorite game as childhood then pokemon was your favorite game in, in childhood and i say talk about it well the most um the most influential thing i have from my childhood is game boy era um is as pokemon gold gold and silver at one point i did have both and at one point i had access to two po- <laughs> two game boys and i did connected cables and trade with myself um and back in the day i would set up myself to start uh, like a run on gold or silver with all three starters uh which just felt so amazing nowadays you can kind of do that a little bit easier with trading with actual people and stuff but i was very much hanging out in the attic of my father's office for summers uh either reading or rereading Harry Potter books or um, playing Pokemon Gold and Silver. That was like easily the game I probably have put the most time in of that era, maybe of my lifetime, but not necessarily of my lifetime. But um, but yeah, it was uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver. Gold was the first one I got, so I'll give gold the gold in this circumstance. But um, as another nod, if I had to pick something else, <laughs> board and, and uh, meeples, I'd say trouble. The Pop-O-Matic game was the one I probably played the most simply because it was so easy to whip, uh, pull that out. And um, I played that a lot with my father's mother, my grandma Vola, uh, and my Aunt Marsha. And whenever we visit um, Aunt Marsha and Grandma Vola would be in town, I just have a lot of good memories of that. So those are probably the two most influential games of pre-13 years old Brockett uh, in my lifetime. What about you, Joel? What about childhood for you? So I kind of extended the childhood uh, up until I want to say maybe 14 because that's when the Super Nintendo came out. And oh, okay. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit older, too. Right. So, (laughs) yeah, um, so because in the Nintendo Entertainment System, like, sure, I played a lot of games on that. But like 
were my were they my favorite games of childhood not really when i look back uh fondly i don't think of hardly any nintendo games maybe super mario 3 but really mm. what i remember spending a lot of time playing uh with my buddy scott over at his place uh was mario kart on the super nintendo and that was uh I, I played solo we would each play solo taking turns we would play versus one each other we would have like the i don't remember what the battle mode was called but you basically drove around and tried to it was like a maze of of it was a flat kind of arena and you would drive yeah. around in circles basically trying to shoot one another and there, there'd be you and your opponent but then there'd also be like eight other or six other cars as well all trying to to fire stuff at you and there's stars and red turtle shells and i just i remember we ended up being quite good at it and it was a lot of fun um and i think probably one of the better one of the better games on that system so i remember oh, spending kart, a lot yeah. of time doing that mario kart um honorable mentions in the same kind of ilk was uh scott and i would spend a lot of time playing super street fighter 2 uh or street fighter 2 i guess at that point it's hard to see and this is the thing there's been so many sequels and versions and iterations and changes to that franchise over the years like i don't even know where to begin but i'm talking about like the 19 early 90s release of street fighter 2 on the super nintendo and it, it had your basic classic fighters like i think balrog and m bison and those guys were in it but other than that it, that was it uh and we hours hours fighting one another uh on that it was uh it was something we did quite quite a bit um and of course another honorable mention would be super mario world in terms of you know games that i really enjoyed but time in and enjoyment and memories are definitely mario kart first that's the first thing that comes to mind and then street fighter 2 and then super mario world so moving on into uh teenage years like where where do you expand your horizons as you uh get into your teens so when i hit so the N64, I started to get, again, I didn't know what I was doing. So one Christmas, I got the N64, and it came with Donkey Kong 64, a game that I would play very little of. Uh, again, sort of an adventuring platformer. Um, and Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which I was somehow very afraid of, because up until that point, I hadn't played. I mean, in Pokemon, you faint, but you don't like die-die, like this idea of you dying like in platformer games and losing lives and losing everything seemed was something that worried me a lot, um, which obviously anybody who plays Zelda, you know, doesn't really happen. You just have to restart from wherever it is. You don't lose all your progress. But um, but again, I was fresh to all this. Uh, but eventually I got into Ocarina of Time. But um, the thing that really blew my world apart was the first Super Smash Brothers on N64. I played the heck out of that in a on a tv with a built-in vhs into it that you could also record on the vhs that's how i used to record a smallville um when it first came out <laughs> before they released the seasons on dvd i would uh mark my little vhs and have it record the episodes and i would write it and i would make sure every vhs was labeled and colored the exact same so that if you looked at it on a shelf it would be very very similar <laughs> nice <laughs> uh for that reason um but yeah, it was funny. Um, yeah, I played the heck out of that. But I, uh, but I will really say the thing that was the most, that was the biggest for me was once I hit GameCube. And if I look back now, the thing I'm most regretful not having all of my games of and having the system is GameCube. 
um, because they just have so many fond memories of that system. So many. And the biggest game of that one was Super Smash Brothers Melee, which to this day is probably sort of that thing where even though I love the Smash Brothers franchise, um, I still put Super Smash Brothers Melee as like that emotional number one. Um, because of just how many hours I spent with that, with my buddies, Evan and Dan and Chris. Um, and just, we all had our names on there. We'd check our stats. We'd see what characters we used the most. We knew what characters the other person used. So if they started to pull out, Dan used Mewtwo, you knew you could play some more speed and kind of get him. Or if, if, if Evan started to play Jigglypuff, you're like, oh, damn, this is going to be rough because he's really good with the rest mechanic. If you're familiar at all with smash um and uh and so you have to watch out about him landing on you and just insta killing you um but yeah there was a lot of that and i love the heck out of that um so probably um super smash brothers melee would be the most important one of my teens um but i did have honorable mentions again with more of the franchisingness like zelda wind waker was for the longest time my favorite zelda uh and then kirby 64 to go back to 64 i did play through one Kirby game in my life to completion. And that was Kirby 64. I think it's um, Legend of the Crystal Shards or something along those lines is the subtitle. But uh, that was a lot of fun. And I love that one as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, Resident Evil 4 was really big. That was the first like real shooter third person game that eventually got me into first person shooters. Um, X-Men Legends 2, because I love the X-Men Legends 1. But again, you know, whatever you want to do there uh sort of a fun hack and slash superhero game and the game that got me to basically beg and plead my way into a playstation because i was a nintendo fanboy for life and wasn't going to get anything else until uh kingdom hearts came out and kingdom hearts literally i could just remember those um simple and clean ads oh sorry that's the song they play simple and clean um uh, that they would play with all the like the theatrical music of it, which was so good. And like, it literally was an ad that I saw so much that I was just, I can't not play this game. Like it looks amazing. Um, and it was more of a hack and slash RPG. So it had elements of two things that I was really, really getting heavy into, um, unless the turn-based stuff. So anyway, yeah, that was, those were the biggest ones, but Smash Brothers Melee is probably going to take the cake for every, for everything of an era up until, you could call me an adult, even through we um, up. And I think I was probably an adult by we you came out. I'm not going to look it up, but um. Smash Brothers is one of those things that I missed completely. Oh, see, yeah, I, f I, I feel like that can happen. I think you had to be the right age for it. And if you were, if you were, then, you know, like you, you were on that franchise for its, its longevity, but I've mm -hmm. never looked at it and go that looks cool look you know i just i looked at it like right uh, you know like just for whatever reason it just does not not appeal to me and i also missed like everything after the super nintendo like the next game console that i had access to and owned between the super nintendo was the xbox 360 so wow no, like I didn't play games in my teens. Um, once we got into like four, like 15, 16, I was in the gym or playing basketball or uh, in the art room. I just spent so much of my time drawing. We had a computer at home and I played some games, but they weren't like my favorite games of my of my teenage years until mm -hmm. much later. Um, but I find it so interesting that I can usually kind of like peg the generation from people depending on how into GameCube they were 
and how mm-hmm. how into Smash Brothers they were or are <laughs> still. Yeah, uh, and I and I find that that's it's really interesting. Same with Pokemon, because uh, when people go back to childhood, like you said, they talk about Pokemon. Pokemon, I missed it. I didn't watch the cartoon. Didn't like. I was the camp counselor in my like nineteen twenty years that was taking the kids at camp to go to the Pokemon movie. <laughs> Right. But I wasn't going <laughs> of my own free will. Right. Because it was just it was a little bit a little bit too too young for me at the time. Had I been the right age for Pokemon, my gosh, I would have been all over it like crazy. Right. Um, yeah. But I was I was a I was a Ninja Tur- Turtle Transformers kid. But like that was my my big thing growing up. Yeah, it's hard to I've I've talked to some people. It does seem like it's hard. Like, I don't know very many people who have picked up Pokemon even past the Game Boy uh d uh, you know dual screens 3ds era um that didn't somehow have a connection to childhood because i really don't know of anybody who's just like oh pokemon sword on switch i'll just start a pokemon game like i don't think that's happening a lot and to your point i knew when you said you love smash or i'm sorry street fighter my buddy jeremy who's also of your of your generation um loves street fighter 2 and when we first like he's 10 years older than all of us. So like we're in like, let's say, let's say 20s. He's like in his early 30s. He's sitting down to play Smash Brothers with us. Never really played it himself. And he's like, I don't understand. Well, it's like, what's the move set? You're like, oh, it's over B. And he's like, OK, over B, B. And you're like, no, you just hit over B. And then you like hit them with it and you just jump around a lot. And he's like, what? And he like, so he's looking for combos and stuff. So it took him a really long time. And he kept being like, well, let's, you know, let's take a break and play Street Fighter 2. You know, I just want to show you some stuff because he was so good at it. And like, you know, you have that competitiveness with your guy friends where you're like, man, I'm getting my ass kicked to Smash Bros. We're going to power up this Street Fighter so I can show some people how devastating I am with Blanca. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, he he eventually grew to love Smash Brothers so much that, um, that uh, he was one of the guys that was saddest when... Uh, we had dropped it for a while and he was like, you, know, you guys want to play Smash Bros? I want to play Kart. Kart's so silly. Like he never really liked Kart, mm. ironically. He eventually wanted to play more Smash Brothers to get better at it because he really liked uh, the sort of challenge of getting better with certain characters. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, there are those like decisive games that I think can separate generations because of what they mean to the zeitgeist like all the mm-hmm. games that are repetitive mm-hmm. after that or the games that are mocking that or the or how that franchise just explodes because when smash brothers is it has existed it's been in every single system the way like a zelda game has for nintendo and several others so yeah makes a lot of sense i think that's why i never get into mortal Kombat, is because i mean mm-hmm. we, we watched it and played it because we were 14 and it was gory and like it, for the shock value and stuff like that that we were even surprised we were allowed to play it but yeah it just copied what Street Fighter 2 was and did not do it better. It just did it gory. <laughs> like it was just a gimmick, yeah. you know? I even have the latest Mortal Kombat on the Xbox and it's not great. Like it's, I don't, it, I feel like there's just a lot of weird, the jumping is strange and I don't know what it is about the Street Fighter franchise, but they just, because it's a little bit cartoony, they tend to get away with movement a little bit more. Whereas the stuff with Mortal Kombat is so realistic looking, it just feels very slidey there's a bunch of guys sliding around on screen the backgrounds are pretty but like that's not why i play fighting games so um i can i and i can understand with smash brothers like yes it's a fighting game but it's drastically different than anything like street fighter or mortal Kombat. like it's complete it's completely different completely different so for me i'm gonna skew my teenage years as far as video games into my late teens and early 20s 
uh, as I mentioned, I was more into sports and working out in my in my teens, and I continued that through my twenties. But around the end of high school into university is when I ended up with my own computer. It wasn't the family computer. I don't even remember hooking up my consoles uh, in high school. We moved when I was 16 to a condo uh, and I, I don't remember having either the room for it or even just the thought to hook up much for the consoles or maybe my sister was playing them. I don't really remember. But what I was into uh, on the computer um, was StarCraft, the original StarCraft oh, from, okay. from Blizzard. That's where I got, I got into gaming. Uh, and then as as i finished university so like 2021 i was into medal of honor so starcraft was definitely the one that i played the most it was the type of game that i sought out i played all kinds of different rts's but starcraft was the one that i really really enjoyed uh and later on when starcraft 2 came out i was really into that but that that wouldn't be my top adult game um but but starcraft was definitely something that i mean i played at home i ended up playing uh over LAN uh, at university. So like we had um, in, <laughs> yeah. okay, see if I can remember the years here. Uh, it would have been two, no, it would have been 98, 99. So the year of 99, there was a, a, a faculty strike at the university in February. And I'm telling you in, in New Brunswick, Canada in February, with no classes, there is nothing to do. Like <laughs> nothing. Inside. Yeah, right, you're you inside. There's anywhere. a foot and a half of snow on the ground. It's minus 30 yeah. Celsius. Like it's just miserable outside. But you're in the, that was my second year in the dorm and everybody had like local internet. So you weren't even going across like there was no battle net. You were connecting peer to peer, like computer to computer. Wow. In your room. Not oh, even yeah. like a giant computer room, which is exactly. what I a picture for Lance. Wow. Yeah. So, the, so, so we had them in, in the dorm room. Uh, and so there'd be like a guy down the hall on his computer. Uh, my buddy, James Bradshaw and his roommate, Chris had each had computers in their room and we would just kind of like swap out in like a four V four or larger. Uh, and just, and people would just watch like the people that were, that were not, it wasn't their turn. They would just hang out and like go to some room where there was room enough to sit down and watch the other people. They wouldn't spoil anything. Like they wouldn't say give away where people were or anything like that. Um, but it was, it was fun. Like it was a lot of fun, a lot of really just good bonding too. like made a lot of friends and just like razzing, you know, one another about the previous match and stuff like that. And so Starcraft was my, my big kind of like teenage years into early twenties game. And then when I, when I got back to Nova Scotia, after I graduated, uh, my buddy Chad and I, a Chad who started this podcast with me 10 years ago, um, we would play, um, Medal of Honor. So not Call of Duty, but Medal of Honor was the one that we were into. Mm -hmm. It was like the predecessor. And it was again, one of the first times that we were able to get onto first person shooter online. So like that was a new experience for both of us. And what yeah. we used to do, he used to bring over his laptop. Uh, and I don't think I had two PCs. I think I had one gaming PCs and I think he brought over his laptop or maybe he brought over the whole, his whole rig. Um, right. but we ended up being here in my little studio and we would be playing on the same team. And so rather than having to chat over the internet, which back then wasn't the easiest thing to do, uh, like voice wise, uh, or call one another on the phone. 
uh, we would, um, we'd sit here and talk to one another, like in person. I'm just like, can you see that guy on the ridge? Like, no, I got nothing. Like, I know he's behind the Jeep, but I can't see him. Like, all right, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go left. And you like run up the middle and distract him. It's like, okay, I'm the bait. Thanks. You know, like, and we would yeah. just do that for hours, hours and hours and hours. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It, it I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And that kind of, I think, kind of brought me into my appreciation for and still enjoyment of first-person shooters. They have to be a good first-person shooter, but right. um, I did really enjoy it. And I, I'll i differentiate and say I don't like modern military FPS. I prefer like World War II. Like I like bolt action, single action, semi-auto, you know, machine guns, but like not like the crazy you know, like Navy SEAL stuff that happens in, in modern, modern games. I just find it way, it's all way too fast. There's something, cause for yeah. me, when I, when I was, when I was playing Medal of Honor, I was a sniper. I wasn't running in right. and shooting people that much every once in a while, depending on what was needed. Cause it would be like a, it would be like a, a, a two teams of 20, you know, versus one another in some of these big maps. Uh, and you could get in a tank and you could just, you can get up to a bell tower. You could do all this kind of cool stuff. But my, my favorite thing was to get in a good sniping position, like nail somebody. You'd hear the, you know, echo across the fields of yeah. Germany. And, and then you just watch all the other multiplayer people just scatter. Like we have no idea where that just came from. Yeah. And we would be, and people would be taking it seriously. I don't remember it being ranked. Like I don't, I don't think you'd necessarily as a team would rank up, but you would certainly as a player be ranked as like, you know, most kills at the end of the match or least amount of deaths at the end of a match or something like that. Right. So we were, we were trying and, and it was a lot of fun. And I think the, the most fun I ever had, I don't remember the name of the map, but I think it was an Italian map and it was a big open field with a hill in the middle and there was a fort at the top and that you can get into vehicles. And so you can get, somebody could get in, the Jeep, uh, there would be a passenger that usually had a machine gun and, uh, or a rifle. And then the person on the back could get on the 40 cal. And so they'd mm -hmm. be coming over the hill and you just hear like, whoa, 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 whoa. But everybody's like taking cover everywhere. Cause this machine gun is just ripping through everyone. And I either by pure luck, by internet, you know, God smiling on me, I sniped the driver. <laughs> and so this Jeep just kind of like creens off the road and crashes into a tree. And then the two people still alive had to jump out and hide behind it. And they're both like, oh, we have no idea where that came from. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there like, I can't leave this spot because I know that there's two guys there and I've got them pinned. And therefore my team is able to like either move in on them or whatever. But it was, it was just a fun kind of like, okay, I'm not so bad at this game, you know? And that I think was one of my first experiences where I felt like, I was pretty good at video games. Like I, I knew that with Starcraft, I could beat the computer no problem, but the computer was like just predictable back in Starcraft. Right. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the um, playing other people, it, it was really just a matter of of time. Like when we played in in university, we didn't rush one another because that wasn't fun. Right. The match was over in 15 minutes and people was like, no, no, no. I want to like build up an army and just kind of like see who wins sort of thing. So it would always be like end game, you know, um, Starcraft. And I was, the, I was always tearing. I always had like so many siege tanks. Like it was just, <laughs> just obscene. Like people would come up to my front door and just evaporate because it was just, <laughs> I mean, for me, it was just kind of fun and funny. I mean, ultimately 
I, you know, if I lost, it was usually because an aerial attack came in and came in through a side or something that I just couldn't protect well enough for like carriers or something crazy. Um, but with with the front door and the the ground battle stuff it was always just like leapfrogging siege tanks and doing all kinds of cool stuff it all of it before starcraft 2 so i have a hard time remembering a lot of the moves from starcraft 1 because i played so much starcraft 2 uh when it Mm. came out later on but starcraft was definitely the i'd say the biggest game of my teenage years and then just rolling into my 20s was was medal of honor it makes sense i think a big part of particularly your teenage years or the the group experience you're having um and the bonding experiences and convenience um who has what system how those systems are connected are you playing like smash brothers mainly for me it was like my buddies are coming over we're in the same room we're playing the same game for hours once you hit that sort of like an hour in and everyone's sort of warmed up or they've gotten those first early like really like teeth gritting matches and people start to loosen up and they're like i'll play as a character i don't play as and we'll just laugh at how bad i am you know like so then there's a little bit less of a competition of beating your friends uh that can come up sometimes especially with young adolescent um males um but yeah i think what is a big thing is like when you hit a certain game and it might be why culturally some things like fortnite um and other games are so massive now because essentially the games that we loved of those era of our life are not not fortnite i mean they're not necessarily fortnite but they're like they're of a mind with fortnite where you're sitting down you're rattling through a bunch of matches you know you're trying to work your way up of, of being better at something but at the same time you're also just basically you know, shooting and crap and uh, giving each other hell about uh, <laughs> how bad somebody was at something. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds awesome, the setup. Yeah, the difference, too, with, with StarCraft, specifically in university, is that these were all people that were down the hall. So you couldn't be toxic, right? Because you had to go to meal hall with them in 20 minutes, right? <laughs> like, you, you couldn't be an absolute dick because then people would not want to play with you anymore, right? And But right. on the internet, yeah. people, like, with, with modern, you know... Uh, matchmaking and stuff there's just these trolly assholes and like the the stuff that i i hear about and see online thankfully i have a really nice online community but i've seen worse and it's um yeah i I don't envy the people that have to deal with that it's one of the reasons why i don't play competitive games on stream and why i don't play competitive games in general is because i just um and i'll get into this in the next section but like i i don't have the time to get good enough for the rest of the internet to then not give me really inappropriate, you know, hell. I'm just like, nah, it's like, I have a life. I'm, I'm not going to be what you expect me to be at this game. I'm sorry. I'm not, this is not my career. I'm not a competitive gamer. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those things that I, um, I prefer casual games, but anyway, so and as far as adults, so now that we're both uh, grown, grown ass men that spend a lot of times watching cartoons and playing video games, <laughs> uh what (laughs) what is your top game for for you as an adult well this is obviously the hardest one for me because it's going to be the most recent um and as an adult and having purchasing power more over what i like i can move on from a game that i'm just eh about or whatnot and also i just don't have access to my friends in the same volume as i did in my teenage years so one really solid game is tough um but if i went by how much 
money I put into the game basically by getting it or playing it on different systems or whatnot, it's really going to come down to Borderlands 2, um, even though 3 I prefer now more over 2, but that's probably up there. But um, because I talk about Borderlands all the time on the show, I just wanted to just say that, but then really move on to, I think recently the thing that's that has drawn me in the most and I've really, really enjoyed was Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I'm a guy who, you know, I would, people would be like, GTA is so much fun, open world, you know, and then I'd play something like that and be like, eh, it's not my thing, I'm not a crime person. And then they'd be like, oh, Red Dead Redemption, you like Westerns, like it's open world, go do it. And I'd do it, I'd be like, eh, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of lost. I need, I need something that like pushes me towards like an end goal. And so Breath of the Wild really should be something that terrifies me. And it really was like the thought of my weapons breaking, the thought of me kind of starting off from scratch. And there's not like, go to the forest temple, get the bow, then move on from the bow to the fire. You know, there's not that clear path as much in Breath of the Wild. I mean, there's still plenty of hand holding in some regards. But if you're a big fan of the Zelda series, Breath of the Wild is so dramatically different from everything you've ever played before. And it's beautiful. And I think some of the things, like you're saying, like, you know, not wanting all this competitive stuff, something like Fortnite, like at my age, is just way too much going on, which, yes, I know, I play Borderlands. That's literally pretty much your brain just exploding constantly and you trying to pick up the pieces. And I get that, which is why something like Breath of the Wild probably is starting to speak to me more and more because there are moments where you can just kind of wander around pick vegetables or mushrooms off of things, climb mountains, swim, ride a horse. You know, there's there's tons of little moments of downtime and your character is not talking all the time and people aren't talking to them. There's no real voice acting. It's all text-based still. There's grunts and stuff, but there, nobody's like, I mean, yes, Zelda does talk to you. And yes, there are cutscenes. So there is some voice acting. I should back up a bit, but uh, really you're not just like, what I'm saying is like, Again, Borderlands, psychos are screaming at you from left and right. You know, they're saying things like meat bicycle and stuff like that, which is great. But when you're when you're just wanting to ride by like a beautiful lake uh, and then maybe go fight a moblin or something, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild is really high up there. They, um, It's just something that uh, I've really, really started to enjoy more and more. And um, what's funny is like RPGs have to, there's some kind of mechanic where you kind of, alter your character over time is just something that now more and more i just i have to have in a game because i i just i I like a static person that just moves from like point a to point b like i I don't know it just doesn't work as well for me unless it's really really couched in story um so i do love those elements of the zelda franchise that they're not so overwhelming as maybe something stat based like a borderlands or um or whatnot but i really loved breath of the wild that's really pretty much up there uh now uh, at this moment and i did just finish a replay uh of it so obviously it's kind of more fresh in my mind as well but that's that's sort of where I, my head's at it, it at this time what about you joel i feel like it would be i mean i have to say minecraft right like that's it's <laughs> it's kind of impossible not to because i spend 12 to 20 hours a week playing and have done for the last five to six years, you know, like I, um, the, tr- the tricky part there is that it's an obvious answer and. Right. And you talk about that all the time. Like I do with Borderlands. So I, I totally understand if you like, you can say it's the honorary Minecraft list and on that list at number 
one B is really, you know, whatever game. I feel the same way about some of that stuff. So I would, I would say like, you know, the most influential games in terms of my adult life, but in the same, like what made me bring it up first is because the way that you talked about Breath of the Wild is because like, you're not just having your head exploded or exploding someone else's head every three seconds. Like it's not just run around and game mechanic. Like there's, yeah, it's a sandbox game. So like Breath of the Wild, you can, you know, if you want to fight skeletons and zombies, you can absolutely do that. If you want nothing to do with it, you don't have to, you can just go sleep and then they light themselves on fire and you're done. You don't have to worry about it. Um, <laughs> what I find so interesting, and this is probably for me as an artist, is that Minecraft scratches the creative itch and the video game itch at the same time. So I am no longer like spending all my time drawing, wishing I could play video games or playing video games and thinking like, I really want to do something creative and this isn't really scratching that itch. And I really like immersion in video games. And so for me, Minecraft allows me to essentially kind of create my own worlds and I treat it like I'm creating a video game like this this latest project that I've been working on for the last year and a half on the Citadel server is a medieval town and I'm thinking about it from the perspective of the player walking down the road whether that's the city street the the road leading up to the front gate whatever it is so there's giant wipes and reveals as you curve around a tree or a tower and then you see the giant you know keep up on the hill or um, it's very dramatic when you go through the gate and as you get through the gate, the town kind of like unfolds in front of you, whereas outside you can't really see much beyond the curtain wall. And so stuff like mm. that is, are things that I remember from other experiences in different video games that I've had over the years. And I get to make it now. And I find that that is yeah. just really, really cool without having to worry about like being into coding. I don't have to like, I don't have to work on video games to feel like I'm making one. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that Minecraft does that people don't often talk about. Um, it just, for me, it, it definitely scratches that, that itch. There's also the community, you know, like there's a multiplayer server, like Alistair, who's on the show, uh, Steven ESC, who's on the show. And then, uh, Cosmic Dancer, Hannah, Matt like a bunch of friends that are all on, on the Citadel. And, um, we don't do a lot of stuff necessarily on stream together, but that's because people's schedules are not the same. Um, mm -hmm. but very often it's just kind of nice to pop in to do something and someone else is doing their own thing, but you can then just chat in the in-game chat, kind of catch up, see what's up, ask for help with something like, Hey, do you have any of these blocks? Like, I don't feel like traveling thousands of blocks to get them. Can I borrow? Like, I only need like a dozen. Can I borrow that? And you, it's like borrowing a cup of sugar. You go over to a friend and you know, <laughs> you borrow the blocks and, or you work together on a project. Like we've done some community projects like farms and, and fighting the ender dragon and stuff like that. So there's a lot of that, I think that carried over from, from the, the um, medal of honor days of like the online camaraderie and the Starcraft competitiveness. Mm -hmm. But in Minecraft, it's just so chill, <laughs> right? Like there's, yeah. it's not it, because it's not a competitive game. It's just so laid back. And, and that I think is where, I have had to deal with like the stress of being an entrepreneur for the last, you know, 10 years. I've had, you know, um, other clients, a lot of work. And so having a, a video game experience that is like stress-free in all shapes and forms, even if it's fictional stress, you know, worried about dying in a level or, or trying to bite a, fight a boss when you don't want to get hit one more time and die, like that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily like bad stressful but it's also just like not necessarily what i want to relax after a, a work day in my you know my 30s yeah. and 40s 
And so that's yeah. why I think Minecraft just kind of, once I tried it, why it kind of very quickly swam to the top of, of my game list. And there's also a lot of problem solving because Minecraft, like Legos, you don't have everything you need, right? Like the blocks are one meter by one meter. The stairs are huge. If you're trying to build something that's a different shape, you know, um, like a circle, like you, like you can't, you have to build a pixel art circle for the you know lack of a better way to say it. So mm -hmm. when you're trying to recreate these ideas, things that you've seen in other video games, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, something from world of Warcraft or something that you see online or something from breath of the wild, or, you know, insert any other video game here, really challenging. If you start to get into organic stuff like trees or, you know, mountains and things. And there's a challenge to kind of translating that into Minecraft. And that's what I like about artwork is, you know, working with a client and they have a visual problem. And my job is to solve the visual problem. And sometimes that includes like a really, you know, cool, fun illustration, but it's still solving a need. And there's a bunch of problems mm -hmm. that usually present themselves. And, and that's the thing with, with, um, with Minecraft is that depending on what you're doing, especially if you get into the technical side of things, it's a lot of problem solving. And I enjoy that side of it because it's, it's in depth enough that it's going to challenge you, but it's not so in depth or, um, something that make your, makes your eyes glaze over. Like if you're trying to code something from scratch and you're learning to code and you're having a hard time and you're frustrating, staring at like a wall of website code is just like, it's not necessarily, What's not as engaging as walking around what you're doing in Minecraft in three dimensions and looking at it and going like, oh, okay, I see where the shape is going wrong. I need to adjust it here or we'll do whatever. And I've gotten to the point now where I can like, I'll do like uh, concept ideas or I can kind of like work around spatially in Minecraft pretty well, but very often I'll end up working from reference material. And it's just a lot of fun to try and take something that is not Lego, is not Minecraft it's a model, like, you know, a tabletop, you know, kind of like gaming model, like uh, mm. Warhammer something, you know, 40K or something like that. And taking that and translating that into Minecraft and like the challenges they're, they're in. Um, but Minecraft is also part of my job and has been now for four years. So it, it it's a it's a great, you know, thing to have in terms of being into one of your favorite video games as an adult and also have it be part of your career. Um, but in terms of like, relaxing and hobby stuff and something that I never streamed and I never did for anything other than just me and the community. Um, the influential games in my late twenties and early thirties were world of Warcraft mass effect series. And then you've already mentioned borderlands and, um, I liked borderlands one, like borderlands. I'd never even heard of it until borderlands two yeah. was advertised. And then I played oh. borderlands one knowing that borderlands two was coming and I just got completely sucked into like the st the story and the weirdness and the comedy and like the stuff that the little dudes are shouting mm -hmm. at you. And like, it was just bananas. Like I just, I, I, all the games that I had played were pretty clean cut. I hadn't really played anything kind of edgy. Uh, not mm -hmm. that Borderlands is that edgy, but it's just, it has like an adult sense of humor. And, yeah. and so I was really taken by that. Um, but I would say the biggest one out of the other things that influenced me as an adult would have been World of Warcraft because that would have been me getting into podcasting. That would have been, you know, part of the Frog Pants community, getting to know Scott mm -hmm. Johnson and, and, and some of his crew and eventually having like a raid, um, a raid group that was, I think that included my partner at the time. Like it just, it was, it was just a whole lot of fun, you know, like it brought a lot of people mm -hmm. together. It was 
the thing that got me to start taking vacations in Utah, where I eventually did a wonderful hiking trip in 2017. Like there's just, there's so much that's tied into World of Warcraft. That's not just the game, but the game was right up my alley too. Again, it's, it's not something that is as high octane as Starcraft or, you know, Call of Duty online and stuff like that. Like World Mm -hmm. of Warcraft still has dangers and you, you can't just walk around safe all the time. But generally speaking, if you don't leave the road, you're not going to get into any trouble. So you can mm-hmm. just, there was days I remember when I would have the time and I was just like, I could fast travel to this place. I'm going to walk because I've never walked this way before. And you just walk mm-hmm. through this absolutely massive world with no mm-hmm. idea what's around the corner. Everything, uh, unlike Minecraft, which is cool, but procedurally generated. So it's, it can be kind of wonky at times, which takes you out of the game. Warcraft, mm-hmm. the environment is just meticulously crafted to the point where like every tree and branch and 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 rock is there for a specific reason. And the atmosphere changes and the music changes when you approach like, you know, Mirkwood and like all these other different things. And it was just, I was blown away. I remember when my buddy Scott got me into it and walking around in, I think it was Teldrassil Forest as a night elf was ju- like, I was just beside myself like this exists because Scott was the friend that, you know, had me and him had Super Nintendos. And that was like the Mario Kart Street Fighter friend, you know, when we were mm-hmm. 13, 14. So in our late 20s, early 30s to get into World of Warcraft, like we were just kind of like, this is nuts. Like, do you remember <laughs> what we tried to play as video games like 20 years ago? Doesn't <laughs> yeah. even, doesn't even come close. And World of Warcraft at the time was low poly and kind of ugly by today's standards. But mm. but man, we, like I, we were just floored by the depth. And then you'd run into people online. It's like, there's other people here. This is cool. You know, so in a way, I mean, I was already on the internet, but World of Warcraft definitely kind of brought me into like-minded people on the internet. Whereas before it would just be like, you know, you're part of the noise. World of Warcraft and Minecraft are like, and again, you see the, you see the comparison, like both kind of open world, you know, um, RPG kind of like do whatever you want. Like World of Warcraft isn't necessarily a sandbox game, but it's definitely sandbox like, I guess. You know, what's funny is if I had had access possibly to Minecraft, maybe uh, there's still some elements of Minecraft that have never spoken to me, but definitely World of Warcraft. If I had had access to that, um in my two years in new york when essentially i was just a shut-in um and i burned through a bunch of different games that's where i got um resident evil 4 and x-men legends one and a bunch of different other gamecube things um and some playstation 2 things but um if i had access to like a world of warcraft in in which i was like on aol instant messenger all the time while also like watching movies or playing games in my dorm room like i probably would have been deep into it and like what's funny is like the deepest I've ever got my father into any game was like a Diablo two. He was so deep into it. He loved even the update me about his characters and the gems he had. He went further than I ever did in those games. And, um, and I, I, I think in a different universe, in a different world, maybe I could have even had a, a, like a connection with my father more by doing something like that, uh, as well as maybe some of my friends, um, but just, I think of those types of things and I'm like, yeah, you know, I missed the boat on some of those and which may have been good. I'm like, I'm, I can be very obsessive about some stuff. Um, you know, I never watched YouTubers for anything in the world until I got Borderlands three. And then I really did start to follow some people and watching their new videos about builds and stuff. And that's the most I'd ever gotten into it. 
Um, but then we had our second child and, you know, so now it's like tricky um, yeah. for me to play a game that has a big sense of community. Cause I don't like to a make few people, you know, let people down. Um, and then like going back to your original point, like I have always been so afraid of trolls that like even Borderlands two and three, three, it took me the longest time to even, oh, and, and I still played probably 90% of it closed. Like I didn't allow people into my game because I just had this fear of like people judging me or them trying to talk to me. And I'm like, honestly, I don't really want to talk. Like we both have probably played this game a lot. If you haven't and you're playing for the first time, then probably don't play with me and kind of feel that out and just go off and do your own thing. Like I'll follow you around. We'll shoot the same people, but like, I'm not in it to sort of talk to people at this moment. Like that's not what I'm doing. And most of the time I'm also playing at night. So it's not with, you know, kids sleeping at the time in a, a condo, but even now, you know, it would probably still be in a situation where I wouldn't want to just be like, you know, blowing it up too much. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a vastly different thing. And I think that's what happens with your life. But um, definitely again, to your point, I think uh, mass effect as a series was just one of those that I just remember being like, this is a game that just hits so many things right. Um, and I know there's plenty of backlash now about it, about how the choices didn't matter or this thing or that thing, but it did feel in the moment like everything mattered. It did feel like it gave you enough flexibility and it did feel like Bioware in particular just had this streak of like really caring about the story and being meticulous about it the way I kind of mostly only associated with um with like Nintendo sometimes with how much they'd be so precious with, with their, um, with, you know, their, their brands and stuff like that. And, you know, that's changed. I mean, Sony, Xbox, they all, they're all very precious with their brands nowadays, I think more than they ever were before. But, uh, but yeah, so that's interesting. I, I just missed the boat on a lot of those things, but, uh, I definitely think in a different universe, I probably was a bigger world of Warcraft person. Um, cause I was a D and D person. I loved being in a room with friends that was probably some of the funnest moments of my adult life was playing dungeons and dragons so i I could definitely see a lot of those community type games speaking to me if they had just hit me at that one part at that one window of my life but yeah then it goes by and you know you're on to something else so that's the through line that i pick up when i mention you know like my honorable um games for my adult life would be world of warcraft mass effect and borderlands as a series and even though I haven't finished Borderlands three, uh, I like it's, it's the world building. Like they're just so solid all around. Like there's, you, you never mm-hmm. get any kind of like nothing really pulls you out of it. You know, um, I had the same reaction mm-hmm. with the mass effect ending. Like I wasn't a big fan. Um, I was just like, meh to me, it just kind of like they had such a great story, but they just, they had no idea how to end it. I mean, that's, yeah, we've talked about that with so many great things, you know? Yeah. I forgave it because like when I look back at it, I was just like, yeah, like I had a really good experience. Like it was the first game of that nature of that depth that I played because I would have played that while I was playing World of Warcraft, but it was the first console game where it was just like, this is what you're doing. You really just have to go through this story. Um, With Borderlands, there is a story to follow, but there's enough side missions and there's enough of your own managing inventory and content and loadout and powers that it really feels a little bit more like, um, like an open world or like, it feels more MMO than it does RPG sometimes. Um, I've never, I've never played borderlands with anybody. Um, I, and I did stream borderlands three. It didn't, um, it didn't perform super well for me on stream just because 
you know, the Minecraft podcast was taking off. So it made more sense for me to focus more on stuff. We would, I just get a lot of people coming into the Borderlands stream and asking when you're going to be playing Minecraft next. I'm just like, well, <laughs> well, it's more manic and it's more mature. So you definitely, it's more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing too, is that like, I don't know the ages of people that follow me. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of them are adults judging from the quality of the conversation that I have on online, but, but you know, they may also have kids with them and stuff like that. But I mean, like, it's also very clear what I'm playing. <laughs> like if I'm not playing yeah. the game you want to play, go watch somebody else. It's fine. Um, cause yeah. I'd like to get back into more variety. That's one of the goals that I, I have is to go back and play more things. I've put an obscene amount of hours into satisfactory, but it's not different enough from Minecraft for me to talk about it. Like it's a, like I wouldn't have many different things to say about satisfactory that I do in Minecraft. Oh, yeah. It's all the same sort of like open world problem solving that I like, um, just with way better graphics. And that's the one thing I find about Minecraft that every once in a while does kind of like gra grab me. It's just like, yeah, I spent a lot of time in this game and it really looks like the same super Nintendo games I played. when I was 14 sometimes, mm. you know, in yeah. terms of the pixel graphics and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like with, borderlands like i do want to get back to it and it's one of those i'm a weird completionist like i did start it on stream i haven't played it off stream so if i ever finished it it would be kind of nice to go back and play it again on stream but like at the same time i should just play it but i own it on pc and i spend enough time between podcasting and streaming on a pc and so yeah. i've had half of mine to just buy it for the xbox and just kind of try it there but i much prefer first person shooters with a mouse because i remember when i did stream borderlands 3 a bunch of people in chat that were members of the minecraft community were just like wow you're actually pretty good at this i'm just like look before twitch was even a thing i i lost years <laughs> to things like <laughs> medal of honor and call of duty united offensive and like these early early first person shooters i'm not a noob <laughs> i don't compete yeah. i can't keep up with today's you know, I'll say the kids, um, like I can't keep up <laughs> online, but in terms of like playing through the missions and stuff like that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with it. And I mean, and I like borderlands three, I had a blast sharing that with people. And I just, I know that there's a couple of captures of me with a really giddy laugh when I try out a new sniper rifle and it hits like a truck and you're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, this is, Man. this is exciting. And if it looks cool at the same time, like if it also has the cool sci-fi kind of vibe to it and yeah. all that kind of stuff, like th there's a lot to it there. It would have been fun to play more. I know they keep talking about cross. I mean, one of the big selling points in my brain now too, about tiny Tina's wonderlands, which is their high fantasy version of, of, um, yeah borderlands which is already getting good reviews and stuff is it actually is cross-platform apparently i don't think though it's going to go to pc because and i think people who game a lot will say this but like usually when you put pc against a console pc people are just going to own and, and yes. borderlands is not competitive so you're not necessarily like a problem like if we were playing and you are on pc and you are a sniper i would love for you to be incredibly accurate and i yeah. could just be the insane dumb dumb that you watch just getting mobbed and you're like oh my god Brock, just don't make me have to run and revive you for the eighth time and i'll be like joel come get me but like that's <laughs> sort of the thing that's totally fine I think another part of, of just as a grand topic, as we wrap up the video game thing, that's like interesting is we are of a generation where video games are far more in the zeitgeist and you experience and you can experience another person's journey with it and get to know them more by what games they played, what they, how they had a reaction to Mass Effect, what choices they made in these games, what type, you know, which is really fun and exciting because I think 
um, sometimes with 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 some things like a movie or a um, or even a TV show or a book, like there is a finality to those things, and you're not you're experiencing them, but you're not interacting with them. And I think that's one of the major things about video games that's so fascinating and fun is like I, I have there's nothing I can really think about other than maybe at some point in ancient times, like a, a monastery where everyone was playing chess. And then, you know, Monk 4 walked over the Monk 9 down the row and was like, Monk 10 just kicked my butt in chess. How crazy is that? And it's like, oh, here's just some strategies of it. Oh, I love, you know, I can't, I have no idea what other thing you could really talk about about that because video games are just such a new thing to civilization. But there's a reason why, like now the budgets of them are as high as like movies, which would be astronomically crazy to think about in like even the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, that these little things could be more valuable um to companies than uh, than those moving pictures but yeah it's it's just a great great way for communities to be built up now in the internet age i think as well because you know even though you have group watch and movies and stuff and laura and i try and do that with disney plus and different things like it is still different when you're like haha yeah oh that was a funny moment you know and you're not in the room like mm. watching something together in the room is far more valuable than i think playing a game in the same room like you can and i think that still has a lot of value but i think not having to play a game in the same room um everyone being on their own rig whatever it is um it can be just as good a quality if not better sometimes uh than mm -hmm. you would with any other kind of cultural pop culture experience so it's really cool where we've come with a lot of that stuff and where we're going you know with vr and everything oh man yeah that's i, I won't let myself <laughs> i don't have the time to get into VR or the room in the apartment to do it. I'd be tripping over everything. Moving on to the next email from Jordan P. Books, books, and books. Hi there, Joel and Brockett. After listening to you both talk about Lord of the Rings on episode 436, Turning Red, I got to thinking I've been reading the Dune series of books and was wondering what other series of books you have enjoyed or are currently enjoying. Thanks for the thought-provoking podcast, Jordan. I'll let you go first, Brockett, because you are, uh, I'll say you just read more than I do. I, I, all of my books that I have to share with Jordan are old. <laughs> uh, so if you've got anything that you're currently reading or something that, knowing that they're a Dune fan and a Lord of the Rings fan, if there's something up your uh, bookshelf that you want to share with them, let, let them know. Oh, sure. I will specifically speaking to the sort of bigger, higher, um, drama things i don't have a great sci-fi like i will say of all the things out there when i tend to read now it tends to be more fantasy based um or have an element of um uh, supernatural so i'm more supernatural fantasy than i am sci-fi and i would argue in a grand macro sense that science fiction is just anything in which we don't understand the science of it so you could really say fantasy you, we just don't understand magic but uh but that's a topic for another day um but as far as dune and all the sort of things like the things that came to my brain the most quickly were books that uh, i've been wanting to revisit especially now that i have children they're far too young for it but um the chronicles of, of prydan uh, by Lloyd Alexander with this book series I picked up in college. Since we had the previous email about talking about things that were affecting you at different points in your life. Um, I, you know, I'd seen Disney's The Black Cauldron cartoon um, on, in the big clamshell puffy case. And I was trying to find out where those books came from. And I remembered some from my elementary school, but I never 
read them because I was too young. Um, so I picked up all five of them, and those are just lovely. Um, they're they're for younger readers, so of course, like it's not going to have a heavier depth that a Lord of the Rings is going to have, but it's going to be on par with the Hobbit um, as far as like the depth of the world, but the depth of the reader's need for understanding how the world works and all these sort of stuff. The politics of the world is not necessarily as important, um, and it's a fun journey. It is one of these where you know a young man um like starts off as like a snot nosed and ends up learning and progressing over the course of the the five books but um that was just a really great one that i've always enjoyed um and i've noticed this about myself as i am terrible and i see in your notes you have some audiobooks roll but i'm terrible about sitting down and reading a big book now like i could not get through uh game of the thrones books past um uh the past um, game of thrones the first one like clash of kings i finished and i was like oh my god i never get through this this third book and i switched to the audiobooks because for big tomes it's just easier for me to listen to it i think um and that's how i got through the dark tower series and some of the other ones but um but the chronicles of pride and because it's a younger adult book it's just you know it's just easier to blow through those types of books and and i think that is really good and sort of more the mindset of like a, a series like um the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher, which I mentioned before, uh, you know, Wizard Detective in Chicago um, is a quick pitch. Um, and it's it's more mature. I mean, he's, you know, it's a detective, hard-boiled sort of thing. Um, there's not a lot of swearing. There's not a lot of, like, you know, there's adult situations, both violence and sexual um, in nature, but not, like, overtly. Like, you're not reading. <laughs> you're not reading Game of Thrones. But they're also breezy, and there's so many of them, like you would with your sort of dime store uh, pulp novels. And so those are another good ones. Like, I need something that's breezy and maybe has some continuity to it, like Dresden Files, um, where things do change book to book. But, you know, they do a good enough job that you, you really can still pick up in, in certain parts of the, a series without too much trouble. But uh, um, that, and then one most recently, so Dresden Files I've, I've met, read more on and off more recently. And the other one, that I've only done in audiobooks because like you as a completionist, I picked up the first one in audiobook after just seeing a paperback copy of it at a Borders back when Borders was a thing. Um, and uh, and then ever since then, every one of the series I've sort of had to do as an audiobook because you get those voices in your head, you need them back. Uh, and uh, it's for the series called X Heroes, so EX-Heroes. Uh, by Peter Kleins. And Peter Kleins is is a author that um, has some other sci-fi books that I actually have read um, that have some sci-fi and supernatural to them. And uh, I've really enjoyed him as an author. But the X-Hero series, why I like it, is it's superheroes in a zombie apocalypse. And um, I'm not a zombie person. Like, not at all. Like, zombies just always constantly are pretty much this thing where I'm like, oh, God. If zombies are the main point, then I'm out. Uh, sort of like vampires, except vampires can be political, so at least it's interesting. Zombies have no politics. like They're just zombies, usually. Um, but it's fun to see superheroes, and in particular, you know, ones of their archetypes we love, um, having to exist in the zombie apocalypse. And it's all going down in basically Burbank, California, or it's around the Paramount uh, Motion Picture Studios lot is their home base. They call it the mount, <laughs> um, but uh, but it's cool. It's cool to see these ex superhero type characters. You know, there's a Batman algorithm sort of, 
Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, your classic Captain America type Superman-esque hero, sort of centralized and, and whatnot. But uh, there's five books so far in that series. And that would be a series that like every probably installment of that I will be trying to keep up with. Um, and I was, mm, I came to it late enough that there was four already out. But when five was coming out, I was eagerly awaiting it. So that's really the only real current series that I really, really try and keep up with um x heroes by peter kleins uh, is really good but um but other than that it's really comics and back to the lord of the rings thing and my it's weird timing my buddy today told me x netflix just canceled bone uh the comic series that's completed by jeff smith um they were going to do a show for netflix but it's been canceled but bone the comic is phenomenal and it's fantasy and it's very approachable for a lot of ages and um that as you know as somebody who again has trouble with really thick tomes of words a really thick and impressive epic as a comic is far more palatable to me and bone is completed it's excellent um and i think in the past i've mentioned i'm an invincible fan um and i believe yeah i'm pretty sure that runs completed i have not finished a comic i think i was only few trades away from finishing that but um as superheroes again go that's great and then my last real recommendation is just one um uh that finished as well uh probably about three or four years ago but it's a supernatural western called sixth gun basically it's just you know these magical guns exist in this world they have magic powers and also there's a lot of supernatural like there's demons and snake cults and all these different things but there's also they're all you know, using trains and horses to get places. And I just, I, I just loved it. And I thought the art was really good too for six guns. So those are all my, my favorite things I've really read that were canonical and had more than like three volumes that just kind of expanded beyond a base idea and completing that idea. So those are all just pretty much my best recommendations as far as books uh and, and and greater series i mean outside the most obvious things like a harry potter or even like a dark tower by stephen king but those are those are some of my absolute favorites the dresden files has been on my radar for a while i just not picked it up like and i don't know whether i want to go audiobook whether i should just pick up you know the first novel just to see um, but I've had enough friends, including co-hosts on this show, let me know that that's worth reading, that I, I feel like I should probably give it a go. Um, I actually tried The Sixth Gun uh, and Invincible. I started reading those back when they first came out. Um, and it's not that I didn't necessarily like them. I just, they didn't hold my interest. So they weren't bad. They were just kind of like, I, it was fine. I just didn't have like that burning desire to go back and continue The Sixth Gun. Um, despite, again, several people that I was listening to on podcasts about comics at the time, uh, loving them and recommending them and, and whatnot. Um, and I've read Bone. I don't own all of them, but I own a chunk of them. I'm not sure what happened, whether they got lost in a move or whatever. I, I wasn't a big fan of the Invincible animated show. Mm -hmm. So if that's like super close to the comics, like I'm probably not going to go in and, and, and read the Invincible comics. They're probably, I mean, I know it's different, but it's still, it's enough. I think if 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 you watch parts of it and we're like, oh my God, they just punched through somebody's head and I saw bone, skull bone, then you can't watch Invincible. I mean, Invincible is a hard art comic and they don't shy away both from mm. the violence of that world nor the 
weird. The thing I loved best about it was the just insane amount of callbacks that Robert Kirkman can pull out of like just an ongoing joke that like is nursed from issue like four all the way up to issue like 140. Like you just, oh, hey, you know, it, it pays off that sort of continuity. But yeah, this show was enough. Like, yeah, I think I think you're probably good. I'm not going back unless you really, you know, you, something really spurs you. You don't have to feel forced to go back into that that world. So I'm going to try to go off the beaten path with my recommendations. I'm sure I've mentioned at least one of these on the show before, if not both. Um, one of my favorite, I guess I want to call him a fantasy author. He's more of a humor author, really, is uh, Christopher Moore. And uh, years and years ago, I read Lamb which is not sci-fi or fantasy. It's more a, kind of a, a, a criticism of religion, um, but very, very funny. And uh, that led me to A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore, which is about a kind of average Joe by the name of Charlie Asher, pretty normal guy, has a lovely wife, new baby, and everything is going okay until people start dropping dead around him. And everywhere he goes, uh, a presence whispers him from under the streets. Uh, he affectionately calls them sewer harpies. Uh, there are all kinds of little funny, quirky things about the story that like that are like that. Um, Asher, it seems, has been resurrected or recruited rather uh, for a position as death. So he's the new Grim Reaper. And he didn't sign up for it. I think if I remember correctly, he runs a dollar store <laughs> in San Francisco. Like that's, that's, that's the level of mediocrity that this guy is, is at as far as the story goes. And so, um, it's a, it's a weird, fun, quirky story. Um, there's, uh, his daughter grows up a bit throughout it. Like there's all these different concerns that he has about like, he's death, but he has a three-year-old. Like <laughs> how does yeah. one dad when you're death, that kind of thing. Uh, which I thought was was really interesting. Um, and I, again, it's been long enough that I could probably reread it because I don't remember the climax. I remember how it ends. I remember what happens to Charlie in the end, but I don't remember um, I don't remember like the ins and outs and all the details. Um, but again, highly recommend it. and they're they're good books to read. They're not like tomes. They're just mm -hmm. decent length. they're they're, they're oversized paperbacks, so they're nice, easy to handle. They fit in backpacks. like they're really they're really good reads. Um, Practical Demon Keeping, um, because I'm saying they is the other book that's also by Christopher Moore. I read this much more recently. It's an older book. Uh, and um, because it was published in the late 90s, there's a lot of things in, in the series similar to watching Friends on reruns where you're just kind of like, all of this would be not a problem if anybody had a cell phone, <laughs> right? Like these <laughs> yeah. plot twists of people not being able to get in touch or trying to race home to, to talk to somebody. Uh, and uh, for this... Um, it's, um, practical demon keeping is, uh, a story that follows Travis O'Hearn is a old, we'll say I'll, without spoiling anything, we'll just call him old, uh, an old man traveling with catch a green demon that has the habit of eating most of the people that he meets. Uh, and they find themselves in the sleepy town of Pine Cove, California, and think like, you know, one of them, my favorite characters in the book. Uh, runs the bait and tackle slash coffee shop. So that's the size of the town <laughs> that Pine Cove is. Um, actually, uh, because you're here, think like uh, Stars Hollow, but like on the coast. Oh, nice. <laughs> like that no, kind of yeah, quirky, weird, like all the residents are just strange. Um, and so basically, um, O'Hearn sees this way as a way to potentially rid himself of his road trip buddy. 
Uh, and the people of Pine Cove have got no idea what's going to break loose because there's all kinds of forces at work, apparently. Uh, one of the things I really like about Christopher Moore is that he takes characters from each book and crosses them over. It's like the Marvel Universe, where the main, like, catch is one of the main characters. He's the one of the main antagonists in Practical Demon Keeping. But he's a cameo in Lamb the gospel according to Biff, which is the first book that I read. Uh, like he's just, he's in it for a blink, right? Uh, in a dirty job, there is, I don't know whether it's one of the sewer harpies or whether it's one of the other, other demons or something that's under the sewers, but there's something there that is then tied to some of Moore's other novels. Uh, same thing with his other books. Uh, he's got a lot of other humorous books, um, things like, you know, you suck a vampire love story like that, that kind of thing. Um, but these two are the ones that I remember that specifically had like a fantasy twist in terms of like, you know, death and demons and, and, um, you know, uh, just those kind of like fantasy elements and gods and ancient cultures and, and different things being real, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that, that kind of, um, adventure is, is my cup of tea and they're very funny as well, which I, I think I like the last book that I'm going to mentioned that's fiction is called pilot x by tom Merritt. tom Merritt is a podcaster um online friend of mine and he is an author as well self-published and pilot x is the ambassador of the alendans a race uh, with the ability to move through time and space as the guardians of the timeline so it's sort of similar to doctor who but it's got its own twists uh the alendans have been in locked conflict with the sensarians a hive mind race and the progons, a mechanical race that only communicate backwards through time. Pilot X is tasked with establishing peace and saving the timeline. And from what I can re like recall people saying about the Dresden files, um, there's a very kind of like detective kind of like classic gumshoe approach to pilot mm -hmm. x like there's all this sci-fi stuff of him traveling around and doing these wonderful like time and space bending things but the way it's set up is very similar to like kind of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy like he's like yes he's the ambassador for the alendans but the alendans are kind of set up like a company <laughs> so like there's all <laughs> yeah. this bureaucracy and like people that he's got to answer to and um then there's like secret meetings at like cafes and there's, I mean, it's funny cause I, I don't, um, I don't hang out with him because he's in California and he's, we're both very busy, but I haven't talked to Tom in a long time. And, but what I do remember from when I have had a chance to hang out with him, um, there's just, it's so interesting reading a book by someone, you know, and have had mm -hmm. like casual conversations over brunch with or dinner with, and he's, you can just see so much of him in the book, but yet it's not like it breaks it down for you like it doesn't break that wall you're still very much in the pilot x universe but there's all these little subtle things that are in there that is like that feels like something that might have either happened to tom or at least was very close to what happened to tom and he just decided to put it in the book and it's it's very cool uh, i really i really enjoyed it and um always nice to support you know the self-published authors and, and stuff like that um I haven't, I didn't put it on the list just because I wanted to keep it short, but I actually drew the covers for one of Tom's books uh, called Gallium. Oh, nice. I'll have a link to all of these in the show notes and I'll link to Tom's um, site for his books as well. So people can kind of browse what, what he's been doing. 
For nonfiction, I am still trying to read Walt Disney, The Triumph of American Imagination. I believe I've talked about this on the show before. I've not finished it because it's like six or 700 pages and it's long, dense information. Uh, it's, I think I can recommend it now that I'm almost halfway through because I enjoy what I'm reading, but I don't retain much of it. And I do find that Gabler rambles on for pages with facts on facts on facts on speculation on facts. So it's just really hard to like, okay, well, that was a conversation about the movie Snow White, but we went on a tangent about this one artist that joined for six months that for some reason Gabler has pages of information about and feels the need to share with you. And he's like, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel relevant, but it's not uninteresting either because it's also a snapshot into like the thirties and the forties in America with what is now the largest or one of the largest companies in the world. Um, certainly one of the largest entertainment wise and how it started from like a guy and his brother, you know, drawing like silly symphony shorts and, and pumping this stuff out. And it like, it's just, it's a, it is a really interesting read. It's just that I don't, I can't sit here and start telling you about like exact moments in the book that were really moving for me because, or memorable for me, because there's so many names, so many places and so many timelines that like (laughs) over my head, you know, like I just, I can't, it's, it's like studying for, you know, a really complicated exam. Like there's just so much to remember. You'd have to sit there and actually memorize like, who was the name of the lawyer that screwed him over in the thirties? I don't know. (laughs) I know there was a lawyer that screwed him over in the thirties, but I don't remember what his name was or the relevancy just that he was screwed over. You know, like there's just, there's all these things um, that, that are in the book that are cool as an animation nerd, someone that used to work in the industry to know where a huge influence in the industry started and how it all came to be. It's, um, like I said, it's, it's worth looking at if that's something that interests you, but just be aware that it's, um, it's one of those things that is, it's a hard, it's not, it doesn't have a narrative, right? Because it's just, it's just a biography. So there's no, tempo uh it's just it's just kind of like and then this happened and then this happened after that and then this happened after that and he's like well this is all interesting <laughs> but it all kind of gets filed into cool what's next you know um, yeah but yeah i'll uh i'll leave it there i think that's probably you know where i'll i'll wrap it up i will let everybody know that i did watch spider-man no way home but brock has not seen it so we won't talk about it this week uh we've uh, we're running out of time anyway uh, and I've also started uh, watching Invasion on Apple TV+. Plus. I uh, will keep any thoughts I have to myself for now because I've only really watched one and a half episodes. I had to go, be- go to bed last night. I was watching one and enjoying it, but I-, I had to call it. I'll just say that it's another high production quality show from Apple TV+. Plus. The streaming quality and the production quality of the show is is great. Um, I have no idea what's going on. It's It's a slow burn, as I've been warned, but um, I will save judgment for the next time I have a chance to talk with you on the Citadel Cafe about what I have been watching. That moves us into the Internet Minute, which is brought to you by you. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server, which is shared with my personal Discord, and access to the Barista Cut audio sessions because we have passed that milestone goal, meaning that they are available to all of our patrons. Special thanks to our Bean Counter Patrons, Smurf, 588 
Thanks so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 28. Steady on from last week. Our goal is to have one more patron than the week before. If you would like to be patron number 29, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. I've got two quick links to an Instagram profile. Uh, one is called Auk Bricks, A-U-K Bricks. Uh, they are a Swedish adult fan of Lego. Uh, they do a lot of, um, I think it's Lego digital designers. So they keep the bricks that they use as existing bricks, things that you can buy and physically own. But because they don't have all of them physically, the builds that they make are very often digital and uh, will have like digital renderings. Not all of them, but some of them. And they do some really cool work, really cool designs, especially miniatures, like things like interiors and kitchens, a lot of modern architecture, that kind of thing, glass mm. houses, whatnot. And uh, the build that caught my eye was uh, a replica of a build from an architectural firm. The architectural firm is Langberg Architects. And this is the Mark Res sorry, Mac, M-A-K residence by Lars. Uh, at Langberg Architects. This is something that uh, Ockbricks has, I guess, translated into Lego. And not only is it a really cool looking modern house design, but it's also got some exploded views for like lifting the second level off the first level so you can see the finished basement and the finished, you know, garage. There's like a lawnmower and the, like the kitchen table is set. At first, mm -hmm. I thought there was like a little LED lights in this Lego set and um, come to later realize that, of course, because it is a digital rendering, you can actually have some like, you know, light emissive things in the build to have it render a little bit nicer. Um, but it is really cool. Like it is. It was just fun to look at. It's just fun to see the level of detail that that folks are able to put into into Lego builds, even if you're doing things in uh, Lego digital designer and not everything that they do is is a digital design situation but um really just kind of sleek minimalist simple kind of stuff uh, i find that a lot of lego that i see online is really detailed to the point where you lose the form and i feel like these the modern kind of style with some of these mock-ups the form is key like it's the overall design of the building comes first and then the variety of bricks comes second and as a result they look a little bit more realistic which i think is is really really cool um, mm -hmm. the, um, the house itself is a little over 6,000 bricks, 6,600 bricks. And I, like I said, it is a computer rendering, but you know, that's, that's still a lot of planning like that. I mean, it reminds me, Lego digital designer would be akin to Minecraft in terms of the block by block placement, the choice of what block you want to use to put where and all that kind of stuff. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Brockett and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. Thanks for those emails. I really appreciate those. Keep them coming. It's fun to kind of break away from just like television series and video games and talking about uh, different stuff. Uh, you can find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. Check out my other podcasts all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com and follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel, where I play a lot of Minecraft. Brockett, where can people find you online? at the cat volver or at cat volver and on various social 
sites, usually my tag. You have been listening to the Sigil Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.